What's poppin' beautiful people? Your happy accident has led you to the Stupid Scientist Podcast. And these are my inner ramblings. As you're listening to this broadcast, I challenge you to do three things. First, expand your mind. Second, think critically. And last, but certainly not least, probably one of the most important things a scientist does is to formulate new hypotheses. I hope, oh how I hope, that by the end of this, you feel just a little bit stupid. But check it. Don't you dare stay that way. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again to another episode of the Stupid Scientist Inner Ramblings podcast. This quarter, I have a very, very special guest who is an alumnus of the illustrious Stillman College. And her name is Dr. Bashiba Wariso. She is incredible. She is incredible. She has her uh, a master's degree from Meharry Medical College as well as her MD from Meharry Medical College. And she is currently enrolled uh, as a master's in public health candidate. She is at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Sheba, welcome to the show. Care to tell the team, <laughs> care to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm super, super happy and super honored to be here with you today. Oh, man, I, th- I think you you told a, a good little chunk of story of what I've been doing with my life for the past several years. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I'm originally from Nigeria. I grew up in California and um, have been traveling a little bit all over the country since then, especially for school. I love science. I think science is the most interesting, entertaining, and exciting thing ever. I love STEM. I love um, seeing people of color, especially getting into the field. And I'm I'm happy to be here today. I'm pretty sure people are yearning to learn more about you as you were recently featured in Forbes magazine as somebody who was rocking it, socking it. And killing it. I I know that you're going to be pursuing your residency at Georgetown University, correct? That's correct. I'll be at MedStar Washington, MedStar Georgetown this summer in a hospital near you for all of our DMV listeners. (laughs) Awesome. And that's in obstetrics and gynecology, correct? That's right. That's right. I love women's health and uh, working with women across their entire life. You get to work with young girls, you get to work with um, elderly women and everyone else in between. So I I love the process of being uh, involved in helping to bring life into the world. Definitely. Awesome. So, and I feel like I've said awesome a million times, but (laughs) (laughs) well it is awesome so so that's the right word to use women are awesome and women's health is awesome (laughs) oh i need i need to get some more lexicon (laughs) okay um so the first i have a couple of questions that i'm going to go through with you and Mm -hmm. the first one i have is i'm curious about the significance of hbcus on your educational journey yeah definitely i would say especially as a person who is double, doubly, or I guess triply, if you count the same institution twice, a graduate of HBCUs, like in my life, 
HBCUs have really been tremendous. Like I would literally not be the doctor I am today if it weren't for HBCUs. Attending Stillman as an undergraduate and Meharry for grad school and med school have been, I think, some of the best decisions that I have embarked on in my in my journey so far. You know, um, Stillman, especially being a, one of the smaller HBCUs, was a place that you know, really gives you the support and the encouragement that you need and kind of helps to build your foundation um, with your drive and your tenacity. And it's, those are the type of intangible um, skills and the type of intangible experiences that you take with you wherever you end up going, you know, developing that confidence, going into a field that you know, you're going to be one of the, the few, if not the only person that looks like you in the room oftentimes, um, it really takes um, a certain level of confidence. And I think that's something that attending HPCUs really has prepared me to do. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. I had another guest on the show who is a Tuskegee alum. Uh-oh, um, you I think Tuskegee definitely won all the cheer battles at all the games. Like they really, I'll give it to them. We oh may have been God. on the other team, but they definitely won. Oh, yeah, so I, you, and we went to their homecoming under that shed. The shed makes their crowd and their band sound a whole lot bigger <laughs> than, <laughs> than what it actually is. But that's just the, me sipping on some, some haterade and some, there you go. You banter. Um, I was chatting with a a colleague who graduated from Tuskegee University, and one of the things that she mentioned uh, was that she did not feel, she didn't grow up feeling like the environmental science field was so white um, because she grew up in Tuskegee, Alabama. She went to Tuskegee, and everybody who she was around were Black environmental scientists. It wasn't until she stepped outside of that bubble that she realized that it was a a concentrated few. And Mm -hmm. that's something so significant to a person's educational journey because your feet can't take you where your mind hasn't been. Wow. Wow. to, to hear her be able to say that, well, you know, I was actually ignorant that it was a predominantly white field. And National Geographic actually featured her um, as uh, as a feature in their magazine. And so it was just really refreshing to hear how much of an impact an HBCU can have on a person's perception and, and ability to see think that they can uh, achieve, achieve and succeed. No, definitely. I mean, it's tremendous. It really, it's really tremendous, you know, Going to HBCU as an undergraduate and, you know, graduating from institution where now you can say, like, you know, different Black lawyers, Black scientists, Black writers, Black journalists, all because of the experience and the network that you come into going to HBCUs or, you know, going to HBCU for medical school. I literally have 120 Black doctors that I can count on. That I, that I know literally from one class, let alone the three other classes on campus with me, a lot of people can't say that they know 400 Black doctors, you know, but this is this is the type of exposure to Black excellence that you get from attending HBCUs that really normalizes that experience and I think serves as a drive and a motivator for you moving forward, being able to have companionship in, you know, your high, higher pursuits. So I think that is really awesome and really fun. Yes, I'm over here feeling inspired. It's like <laughs> come to Jesus moment. Okay. Let it let it in, girl. Let it all in. <laughs> so 
The next question I have for you um, is really to gain, uh, to figure out what your opinion is on undergraduate curriculum um, at an HBCU. So what, what do you think um, the HBCU undergraduate curriculum did for your preparation in, in the real world? And how do you think that you've been able to apply it? Definitely. You know, I really feel like that was the biggest takeaway was being able to have that foundation be set, being able to feel confident in what you know, um, being able to be challenged academically. Like another thing, I can't speak speak enough about Stillman, but, you know, going to a smaller college, you have instructors who know you, like they know you by name. And not only is that, you know, it's not a check on the box type of thing, but you build very strong, fortified relationships with people. I had some classes that, you know, really small class sizes, oftentimes maybe 20 people in a class. My calculus class was, as I think we only had five in that class. So literally every day you're having one-on-one interaction with instructors and they really get to know you as well as you know, your strengths, your weaknesses as a student. And I had a lot of instructors who really took it upon themselves to push me. So if they saw, hey, she's strong in this area, let's push her a little bit further. Let's have her, you know, step into this leadership role, even within the class. Like, and those were things that I think only happen when you have that type of intimate relationship with people and they feel comfortable with challenging you in ways that help you to grow, you know, further and be better prepared for the real world when you're able to, you know, step, step outside of the box and be put into new situations where you're, you're allowed to, you know, reach your potential and to really kind of shine and blossom and grow. And I think those were like the biggest takeaways, you know, curriculum, I feel like as, as generally speaking, curriculum across the board, standardization is there, you know, when you go to college is college is college is college. But I think the difference is those intangible components of it. You went to college, you got this degree, but are you a leader? What leadership skills did you take away? How did you practice these leadership skills? How did you fine tune them? And when you go to an institution where you have academic mentors, advisors, instructors who can really kind of help you with harnessing those types of skills, I think that that is the best real world application and preparation that you can really get. Beautifully said and well articulated. Like I, I just want to like clap, snap. I don't know, but that was you. You said it all right there. Um, I, I had a question on here about networks and bonds and friendships and their benefit, but you touched a little bit on that when you mentioned having such a vast network of, of black doctors and black excellence at at these HBCUs. So we won't reiterate on that. Well, we'll reiterate it. It's excellent and it's important and it happens at HBCUs. <laughs> but we, won't go, we won't go into too much more depth. Um, so I, I'm curious, I'm, it's probably the question that every parent who didn't go to an HBCU and every student who is considering an HBCU has. It's, it's about the pros and cons of the HBCU experience. And so I'd yeah. like to hear from you. Pros and cons are there with whatever environment you go to, whatever institution or training that you decide to get, for sure. Um, I would say that networking and bonds and friendships is actually one of the biggest pros of attending HBCUs. Everybody I know who goes to HBCUs is like the people. Mm -hmm. are the If they had to pick anything for why they would go back, it's always the people. It's always their peers. It's always 
their advisors and their instructors. The people is what make an HBCU an HBCU. And I think that that is the biggest and uh, the biggest pro of attending an HBCU. I have friends and sorority sisters, fraternity brothers who I talk to to this day, you know, 20 years later. Well, it feels like 20 years, not quite, but you get the gist, you know. (laughs) Not quite 20 years since graduation, but, you know, we're getting up there, girl. You know, my Neos, Neos, Neos have Neos. So it's it's definitely real. Uh, But we, we definitely have those lifelong bonds. And again, people in diverse fields, not everybody has the same, you know, background as you both where they grew up and where they're going, you know, professionally. And I think that having that diversity of experiences that you're able to share with each other is, is really just tremendous and a huge, huge pro of HBCUs. That's a million dollar um, statement right there, because when right? think HBCUs, they don't automatically think diversity. And I'm like, how much, mm-hmm. di- how diverse can an institution be that is predominantly black? And mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you don't realize the wide array if you're sheltered you don't realize the the wide array array of diversity within the black ethnicity right mm-hmm. you, have, you have black people from all parts of the world who grew up with different um, experiences some from uh, from Africa some from Jamaica Haiti some from the good old United States of America right here. Um, mm-hmm. and, and these people from every corner of the of the planet come to one institution or the other to to convene with each other. I think it's a beautiful thing, and you learn Absolutely. a lot more about diversity as a as a black person with other black people. It's like, oh mm-hmm. snap! I didn't realize mm-hmm. I came mm-hmm. in all of this. <laughs> yes, yes, a thousand percent agree. Like. I think that a big misconception about uh, Black people or HBCUs are that Black people are a monolith. And it's like, that is the furthest thing to the truth. We have so much diversity of experience, like you said, and even those of us from the United States. I, I grew up in California and coming down South to Alabama, culture was completely different, okay? Like I learned so much about culture down south that I would have never, ever known or never known even existed had I stayed, you know, in California or stayed to my area with people who had the same, you know, were, were from the same area as me. So it, it was huge, you know, coming down south was one of the biggest, um, I would say one of the most influential parts about me even getting into my career and finding my niche. I learned about health disparities coming down south. Mm-hmm. In California, it looks a lot different. Health disparities looks a lot different than down south. Mm-hmm. And this was the area where I really developed a passion about doing work and working with underserved communities. And that has really shaped, you know, where my career is leading to now. And that wouldn't have been had I not been at a HBCU, had I not come down south and had these experiences and learned from people, not just what's in the textbook, but from talking with people and learning about their experiences that they them family, their families from generations have experience. And I think that those are some of the things that you just, you, you can't put in a dollar amount on because of the value that it really brings to your life and um, really the influence that it makes in what you're able to now produce in the world because of these experiences as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Excellent. 
wonderfully said. And it like all these pros, man. All no cons. <laughs> I've got one con. <laughs> right. Well, you know you can't uh get the full HBCU experience without the financial aid lines. <laughs> yes, goodness, the financial aid. But hey, you can turn into a pro by saying it instills discipline and, and accountability. And tenacity. <laughs> Diligence. Mm-hmm. Diligence. Persistent, honey. Persistent. You gotta keep going back. <laughs> All of those things, you know, patience. All right. <laughs> patience. I don't know. All of those things. <laughs> okay. So my next question that I have for you is, is what, what led you to pursue medicine? I know you touched a little bit on um, coming down south and that kind of gave you um, a glimpse at uh, underserved populations and uh, health disparities and what, what led you here now. But um, is there anything additional that you would like to add? Absolutely. So for me, the thing that kind of piqued my interest in medicine was really my mom. So she worked as a nursing aide for most of my life at like local um, nursing homes, convalescent homes, as we call them. And, you know, growing up, she was in nursing school uh, trying to become a registered nurse. So I spent many, many, many hours with her in libraries at Starbucks studying. She used to call me her best study buddy. And when I got to be of age to actually volunteer in nursing homes, that's where I actually started to get a little bit of clinical exposure. And I really, really, you know, was impressed with the drive and the, the desire to help other people through patient care. And my mom was the one that really kind of planted that seed. And then um, later as I got older and I started pursuing education and upper level education, it was really my dad that kind of helped keep me going. You know, once, once things started getting tough, my dad is always my first call and he would be the one who would be, you know, helping me out, even if it's not directly by him, making some phone calls to some friends that might be able to help me with something in class or in life. And, you know, he was the one who would always continue to encourage me. And, you know, despite what anybody else may say as a naysayer, you know, he'd be the one that would tell me, you can, you can, you can. There was no such thing as I can't when it comes to my dad. Oh, so, Black King. <laughs> okay, okay. I was fortified. He really, he really fortified me in my purpose. And, you know, one of those things when you enter into a field where you're not, you know, the majority, you know, there's a lot of people who have preconceived notions of you, who you are, what your potential is. And it really takes a, a great deal of tenacity and, um, you know, fortitude to really be able to stand in your truth and in your purpose and to not be swayed by other people. My dad was really the, the pillar that kind of kept me grounded that no matter what happened, we're not shaking. You know what I mean? You're going to stand here, you're going to make it and you're going to be amazing. So I'm, I'm tremendously grateful for my parents for that and like helping me with my pursuit of medicine to this point. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So uh, the next question I have for you, um, as you've matriculated through your educational journey, I'm wondering what opportunities do you wish were more broadly advertised and available? Yeah. um, One of the things that aren't as um, broadly advertised are like different opportunities to get involved. Um, 
the the key thing about getting into the field of medicine, especially, but I think you probably could relate to in the field of, you know, science and STEM and research is, is really exposure. You know, the more that you see, the more that you can start trying to navigate your way through, you know, fields like this that are big, that are diverse, like there's spaces for everybody with their different interests. There's, there's so many different spaces. And it's just a matter of, coming into those opportunities that you can say, oh, wow, I like this. I think I can do this. I think I can see myself doing this. So I think being able to see different research opportunities, um, both structured and Mm -hmm. non-structured, going through the process, like I didn't know how, you know, maybe if there's not a designated program, you can reach out to people who are doing research and say, hey, I'm interested in helping. Can I come and help? And things get created out of that. That's something I didn't really know, you know, going through the process initially. Um, So being able to create your own, create your own uh, opportunities just by kind of knowing what you want to do and finding someone who is doing it or doing something similar to it. And um, I would say that is the same thing that would go not only for research, but for clinical opportunities as well. Of course, it's COVID now. So things are going to be a little bit different. We're probably not going to see too, too many, you know, shadowing opportunities right now with, you know, stakes being what they are. But definitely when things kind of normalize again, you know, I've, I know in the clinic, I've seen high school students coming to our clinic and, and shadowing. And that's something that I didn't know was a, was a possibility when I was a high school student as well. Yeah. See, you, you said something right there. Um, Everything you said was, was excellent and spot on, but something that really resonated with me was even if there are opportunities that may not be formally um, like that may not actually be available or have a formalized process or application, you can still reach out to people and, and ask. And Mm -hmm, that is, mm -hmm. that is key, right? I don't think we really recognize how important and how impactful to our future careers, just kind of taking the step, taking ownership of our own futures and taking the step to reach out to a random stranger uh, Mm -hmm. who is in in position to where we want to go. Most of the time, these emails are publicly available on on the site where they work, university site or hospital clinic Mm -hmm. site. You can reach out to this person on LinkedIn, their email directly, introducing yourself and saying, hey, I'm interested in what you're doing. I would like to do that one day. Can I sit at your feet? People, mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, you're going to be met with a positive answer. If they say, no, I'm busy, they might be able to direct you to someone else who is available mm-hmm. or direct you to a program that they have available. So ask, ask, ask. That is excellent. Absolutely. And I think that's one thing I didn't really realize until, you know, now that I'm kind of on the other side of things. But people love seeing people interested in what they have going on. Like people love the idea of being able to, you know, have a hand in creating a mini me, you know what I mean? Like people, people love to see young people getting involved and being the next generation to carry the torch. And I think one of the things I didn't realize was, hey, you know, reaching out, sending that email, making that phone call 
oftentimes you'll be surprised that the person who you looked up to read their paper and you're like, they're amazing is just as excited to meet you as you are to meet them. Oh yeah. And, make them um, puff, puff out their chest. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. What? Everyone's <laughs> feeling good, you know? <laughs> so I would definitely highly recommend that, um, you know, people start to to be more aware that these types of things do happen. You know what I mean? You're not the first one to do it, but you know, you should know that people do take this approach on, you know, getting experiences and exposure to things that they're really interested in. Yep. And, and being not, not being afraid to reach out to people um, actually led me to my postdoc position. Um, Hmm. When I was applying uh, for jobs and postdocs, when I was graduating, I was just like, I can't find anything. And then I just said, you know what, I'm going to go to the NIH website and just type in cancer, epigenetics, breast cancer, and see who pops up. And Mm -hmm. um, a laboratory at the NCI popped up and there was a guy started looking at people's pictures, seeing if there was Mm -hmm. a vibe, reading people's research. And I just randomly reached out to this guy, called him, called him on the phone number that was listed on the NIH website. He answered. No, he didn't answer. I left a voicemail. He called back. Wow. I I, I doubled back. I sent a voicemail and I sent an email. (laughs) He called back and we had a two hour phone conversation that resulted in me in me getting an invitation for an interview to present my dissertation research um, at the NIH. And a connection with four other primary investigators, one at MD Anderson, one at UNC Chapel Hill, one at the University of Chicago, and another one um, at St. Jude. Wow. All four of those- Heavy hitters. Heavy hitters, all four of those- Heavy hitters. All four of those got back to me. All four of them. They wrote back to us. We're snapping over here, girl. Right. (laughs) And and it's like this one man with this connection, he saw something in me. He wanted to be able to help me. He gave me great advice. And he was a wonderful, wonderful, kind man. And I got opportunities. And I ended up at the University of Chicago because I was able to use his name. Wow. Whoa. Wow. That is amazing. (laughs) Yep. Generosity. That is amazing. So ask if you all don't learn anything else today from this podcast, (laughs) you're going to learn to ask. Okay. (laughs) So as we close out, Sheevan, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing this wonderful wisdom with our listeners. Um, I want to ask you what advice as, uh, as we close out, would you want to give to aspiring physicians? I would definitely say the sky is the limit, y'all. If you see a ceiling, reach out and shatter it, okay? Believe in your own potential, even if nobody else does. You know, sometimes you have to to carry, carry your dreams and protect your dreams along the way as you continue to work, work on it. And not everybody will be able to overcome their own limitations and sometimes them accepting limitations in their life can influence them to also put limitations on your life. So don't don't allow that to influence your decisions. Don't allow that to influence your passion, your dreams. Keep on dreaming, keep on working, and keep on achieving because it goes literally in that order, y'all. So go get it. Y'all can do this. In that order. We need you. 
We need you. We definitely do. Well, folks, that's all we have for you this episode for this quarter. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us, Sheba. And we'll hear from you next time. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Of course.